Welcome to the Geek Sweat Podcast. We, we watch, watch films, films to, to save you hassle. It's another podcast with a filmmaking twist just for you. I am Trevor Jones and we will bring you hot topics in the film industry, inspiration interviews with IMDb listed filmmakers, review sweat on online series as they stream, trailer talk on upcoming feature films and cult TV perspectives on classic shows worth revisiting. Sharing the frame with me today are Akosh. Good evening. Kingdom. Hello. Neo Geo. Well, hello there. And myself, Trevor. Between your ears and our voices, we take this opportunity to make the most of our podcast technology. Recorded on blue ice microphones, sound mixed in Focusrite Clara 8 Pre-X, and projecting on Optoma Full HD and computerized by Toshiba. We are now recording live and direct from Ithaca House. Where else would you want to be? This episode is going to be about cult TV. We've already spoken about Doctor Who and we've had a brief introduction to the 60s series, The Avengers. However, there's another character study TV series worth looking at, which is the story of Hercule Poirot, specifically the Poirot played by David Suchet. To introduce this cult TV classic, we are going to hear the thoughts and words of King Dom. Yeah, that's right. Well, Poirot was Agatha Christie's most famous character. Of course, she's a very prolific crime writer who also created Miss Marple. But her most enduring literary character was Hercule Poirot, the Belgian detective. And he has been played on screen by many actors, including Albert Finney and... Um, some other actors. Peter Ustinov. Peter Ustinov, thank you very much. And most recently, of course, Kenneth Branagh, who didn't do a very good job for reasons <laughs> I might talk about <laughs> if I get time. But obviously you guys concur. But we are going to talk about the actor who, for me, is the definitive Poirot, and that is David Suchet. And hopefully I will express why I feel this is the definitive embodiment of that literary character. Can I add two more? Um, because another actor that I like who's played... Well, I like him. Uh, not necessarily because he played prior. I just love the films he's been in. Uh, Spider-Man and Boogie Nights. Alfred Molina mm -hmm. has played uh, Poirot in what seems like Murder on the Orient Express. And I think I should mention this one because it's just got my name in it. Austin Trevor as well as another person who's played Poirot. Take it away. Yeah, fair enough. I will give you Austin Trevor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you've got to say that. But, yeah. okay, so Agatha Christie's Poirot was an ITV series which started in 1989, which I might add was an era when they didn't have many great series on ITV. Mm. If Stephen was here, he'd probably agree with me. Hail and Pace? No, that's a hard <laughs> pass. Um, okay, that's the kind of stuff it was up against. And um, it actually ran for 25 years. It finished in 2013. And over the course of the series run, they filmed every single short story and novel that was written by Agatha Christie. They eventually got through everything that was written. And in fact, David Suchet was the driving force behind that. David Suchet is an incredibly versatile actor. I've seen him on stage myself. He was in The Importance of Being Earnest, playing a woman 
He's played many, many characters. Um, he's a method actor. So when he first got cast, he read everything that was written by Agatha Christie for Poirot. He also That's took, commitment. Yeah, massive yeah. commitment. He also took some advice from Laurence Olivier, wow. who told him that he should be very, very precise in his movements. And, I think um, if you listen to Laurent, if you hear anything from Laurence Olivier, you should just listen and do whatever that is then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, apparently, and he, um, I've heard David Suchet recounting this, Laurence mm. Olivier gave him a very specific piece of advice to help him to get very small movements. Okay. Um, physically small movements. And um, Laurence Olivier said he should get a penny and put it between his buttock cheeks <laughs> and keep it there. Wow. So... In fact, from that advice, I believe that David Suchet actually took that advice and did that, at least in the comfort of his own home. And from that, that's where his version of Poirot's walk comes from. So it's a very, very small, almost waddling walk. And we'll come back to that. But I think the other thing that we should come back to is the fact that find a penny, pick it up all day long, you'd have good luck, doesn't apply on the film, the film sets of Poirot then, if he's it's... carrying pennies in his bum cheeks. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can think of other ways you could make that rhyme with that scenario, but maybe this isn't the show to do it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, David Suchet captured something in the character of Prara, which is his kind of precision, and um, he's a very delicate man. He's a very flamboyant man, but he's also very delicate and very precise in his movements, and that's something that actors kind of don't capture generally. They kind of make the character too big and too coarse. Albert Finney did it, who's generally an amazing actor. I don't think he got Poirot right, even though the 1974 version of Murder on the Orient Express is a very good film. Mm. I don't think the central performance is quite right. Mm. Um, Peter Ustinov um, is a kind of more of a raconteur than an actor. He definitely didn't get Poirot right. He made him too big and too coarse. Kenneth Branagh completely misfired for me. That was an awful performance and a really poor film. And I'm sorry to say that because I like Kenneth Branagh, but um, that one is one of his big misfires for me. So could you give me like three uh, instances or three things that are essentially Poirot? Because it sounds like he's somebody who maybe blends back into the background, as it were. Three things about him. He's very, very detail-orientated, so you can see that from his costume. He, he's a man who probably irons his shirt and he chooses his outfits. He's probably got a wardrobe full of outfits. He plans what he's going to wear on a weekly basis rather than a daily basis. Um, he's very, very precise. He might have OCD, but um, he's not illogical. He's very, very logical. So the thing about Poirot is... Characterize, characterization is character. Yeah, the characterization is the character. And the whole show is a character-driven show. And um, to come back to specifically to the ITV series, um, the ITV series, the first season of the series was based on some short stories by Agatha Christie. And um, they're probably the simplest short stories that she wrote. So the actual mysteries are not that mysterious. So they had a lot of time to establish the character. And it really becomes a character-driven show. In fact, in the first, I'd say the first seven or eight series of Poirot, or seasons if you prefer, there are really two really important characters. One is mm. Hercule Poirot, and mm. the other is 1930s London. Nah. And in fact, the first 
program, you could say the pilot episode of Poirot was adapted by a short story from Agatha Christie called The Adventures of the Clapham Cook. And um, it's a very simple short story in a way. If you read it as a short story, it's not that complex. But on film, it works really well because Poirot accepts a case and he has to go from North London to South London and there's this amazing shot and they're driving over Albert Bridge and they've closed the whole bridge down. Mm. So they've just, like, filled the whole bridge with 1930s cars. Wow. And basically they've created a whole world. So this is a period drama universe inside Lon- that exists inside London. It's probably got the best production values of any show that ITV made in the 80s, definitely. Wow. And for me, my favourite series are probably the first season and Mm. definitely the early seasons because that's when, in a pre-CGI era, they used absolutely every Art Deco building in London. Yeah. And it has an amazing visual aesthetic. It's so, like, modernistic. And that's echoed in the opening titles. Yeah, because the opening titles, it's got this kind of Art Deco, uh, Baroque introduction... And uh, it's kind of like it, it prepares you for that world in a very mysterious and elusive way, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think visually it looks like any other show from that era. Mm. You could say it's a pastiche of the 1930s, but it still looks modern. It looked modern then, it looks modern now. It, mm. You know, it just has a great look. And isn't it quite unusual for an uh, actor to play the same role for 13 seasons? and not be part of a soap opera, because it's a really big commitment, isn't it? It's a massive commitment, but I think David Suchet really enjoyed playing that character. Mm. I mean, partly because he got such a great response from the fans, but Mm. partly because, you know, there was something within him that associated with the character, which Mm. you can see. I mean, there's a lot of love there. Mm. And, you know, the final series, when the character is a bit older and more frail... I mean, I can hardly watch the last season because it's, like, so sad, in a way, mm-hmm. to see him, like, bowing out. Wow. And uh, these were uh, episodes... That series had titles like Elephants Can Remember, The Big Four, Dead Man's Folly, The Labours of Hercule, yeah. and Curtain, Poirot's Last Case. Yeah, so the final case... Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say Poirot dies, but that wasn't the last episode they filmed. Okay, I killed it. Yeah, yeah, Dom Neo Geo is not going to be able to sleep at night now. You spoil it all for him. Okay, how can he commit to twelve and a half epi- seasons without knowing that? You know? Or six, seventy episodes in total, isn't it? Really? But yeah. Um, so the final, the final episode ever aired um, was not um, the last episode they filmed because um, David Suchet didn't want Poirot dying to be the last thing he filmed. So they okay. filmed it out of sequence, the final season. And um, the last shot he ever filmed was actually Poirot walking away in sunlight and he's smiling and waving. Okay. So he wanted a happy thing to be his final thing. Also, the final, se- um, final episode they ever shot was at Greenways, which was Agatha Christie's house. Oh, wow which is down in Devon. You can actually stay there. It's a National Trust property, but you can rent it out. You can, like, stay in the bedrooms upstairs. That's good advertising, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. If the National Trust want to, you know, sponsor us, yeah. you know, bring it on. Well, it's good advertising to actually turn the, take the series back to that space at the end, isn't it? Yeah, yeah they, they brought it back, and, you know, David Suchet was part of that room. 
you know, ensuring that over 70 episodes, 70 odd episodes and 13 seasons, it remained true to its roots. He was the, like the consistent driving force of the series or he became the consistent driving force of the series. Mm. But, um, you know, right from the start, it's a fully formed characterization which you can put down to, you know, him being a method actor. You know, yeah. there wasn't any, you know, teething period. He, like, emerged fully formed from episode one. He is that character. I want to say so it's a bit like a Han Solo. He's the character from the beginning. I've just realised something about Poirot. Um, he's actually a private detective. He's not actually working for any government agency, is he? Yeah, that's correct. So he's like Sherlock Holmes, who is also a private detective. And Sherlock Holmes has his associate who works for the Metropolitan Police, Lestrade, or it wasn't the Metropolitan Police then, was it? It was whatever went before that. But um, Lestrade from The Yard is Sherlock Holmes' associate. And um, in the same way, Poirot has Inspector Jap, who is from the police force, but he is a private detective. So do you think there's a mirror link between Sherlock and Poirot or is it just a mere coincidence? Well, it's not a coincidence because Agatha Christie was obviously influenced by Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, but in the same way, she um, wanted to do something a little bit different. I mean, I always think it was interesting. She had a character being a Belgian detective, so he's an outsider. Mm. And, you know, Agatha Christie is sometimes accused of being you know, a little bit of her time in her attitudes to race, for example. But sure. it's interesting, Poirot is literally a refugee. He came to England after World War I. Okay. And, you know, there were Belgian refugees in Britain after World War I. Mm. And the first story, The Mysterious Affair at Styles, explains the circumstances, how he came to Britain. Mm. So it's interesting, her association with someone who's an outsider. Yeah. And it kind of casts a different light on her attitudes, why she would choose to make that person her protagonist. I'm guessing that she probably wanted to kind of, not whitewash, and that's probably the wrong word to use, but probably put a different inflection on her back catalogue of work before back before Poirot, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It is an interesting choice. And, you know, David Suchet works with that as well, with his characterization. You know, the fact that... Um, you know, he came to Britain as a refugee. He didn't have that much when he started. He is a self-made... Well, OK, he was the head of the Belgian police, which we should say that's his backstory. Mm. But when he came to Britain, he had nothing. Yeah. He lost all that in World War One, So he had to start all over again. I mean, according to, like, the Wikipedia page, uh, Poirot could have been born any time between 1854 and 1873. Why is there so much uncertainty about how old Poirot is? Um, well, you'll know this. I mean, you know, if you go bald, you have indeterminate age. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, David Suchet works with that as well. I mean, some people just always seem to be middle-aged, don't they? Mm. And he is one of those people, you know. Yeah. There's a really mysterious thing about him. He is a mysterious character. Okay. And that's what, for me, Suchet gets, and the other people, most recently Kenneth Branagh, don't, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And is, is there a trope about um, Poirot? Because being an outsider investigating 
crimes and mysteries in the UK? Is there that element of the outsider understanding British customs in a different context? Oh, definitely. And I mean, a lot of it is about class. I mean, the archetypal episode of Poirot is there's a murder in a manor house and then Poirot goes into that and investigates and um, you know there's this tension because the the murderers the suspects are upper class Inspector Jap isn't upper class but mm. Poirot is above class because he's from a different country Yeah. so he's able to infiltrate in a way that the British people can't sure and that's an interesting thing mm. so I mean is there anything else that makes Poirot sustainable as a character that must have 13 seasons and exist for 25 years on TV? Well, I guess it changed over the course of its run. Um, initially, um, the episodes were more lighthearted because they were based on short stories and then they got around to Agatha Christie's novels and the show became darker for want of a better word as it went along mm. you know the the later episodes they're one hour long sometimes mm. they're feature length mm. and um they're they're darker they're a bit sadder mm. they're probably slightly more graphic they have more like you know quote-unquote gritty elements like drug use but also hints of homosexuality and other issues mm. that are absent in the early seasons I mean, so it became grittier and darker as it went along and finally really sad. Because the thing about Poirot's series, it seems like there's a big significant change in the 70 episodes because the, it seems like the first 36 episodes, they were 50, minute long, 50 minutes long. And then uh, the second set or the 34 episodes, they go anywhere from 89 minutes to 102 minutes. And it seems like we're getting into that kind of feature film length territory for tv yeah that's it i mean that was the big shift was when they you know went from you know the shorter episodes to the feature length episodes you know that did mark a shift in tone mm. um yeah if i'm honest i prefer the early ones and that's partly because um the visual aesthetic is stronger in the early ones and mm. towards the end they used up all the good yeah. Art Deco locations in London, probably, you know, in the first few seasons. I mean, they used most of them in the first season. I mean, you've mentioned the Art Deco and the design uh, before, and it's probably worth explaining this to the listeners uh, even in more detail, because uh, when it comes to uh, BAFTA awards, ever since 1990... Um, Poirot, the TV series featuring David Suchet, has uh, won for best costume design, one for best makeup, and one for best graphics, uh, all in 1990. And it's continually nominated thereafter for best costume design in 1991 and 1992. And it just appears to be a thing where it's like a lot of love, care, and attention has gone into um, setting. The, the scene, the costume and location. Yeah, there was an incredible attention to detail. Um, and um, it really came across in the first seasons. Um, mm. I talked a bit about the use of Albert Bridge as a location. Poirot's mm. flat is um, a flat in North London called Florin Court. 
Mm. And um, it's called Whitehaven Mansions in the TV show, which is a great Art Deco building. It's kind of a mid-rise apartment block. It's still private apartments. Mm -hmm. And it looks fantastic. It's really stylish. And then that brings me... We're just looking at a picture of it now. It's great. Yeah. There's a hotel opposite. Oh, really? Actually, there's a Malmaison hotel, which is opposite. So if you're a super Poirot fan, you can stay in the hotel and look at Poirot's flat. Apparently, this is in a, a building on the eastern side of Charterhouse Square in mid, in Smithfield in London, if you want to pay attention and it's have a look right at right inside the city of London. It's, wow. yeah, great, great flats. Mm. I would buy a flat there if I could afford it. I can't afford it wow. yet. <laughs> I mean, do you think the value of the flat's gone up because of the design, the Art Deco design, or because of the um, the history it has with Poirot, the TV That's series. That's definitely added value. Yeah. In fact, there's actually an episode in the first season where um, Poirot investigates a case involving his neighbours. Okay. So the whole episode was shot within that block of flats. Which is technically what they call a bottle episode in American TV, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a super bottle episode. But um, my favourite use of a location is from an episode which is called this episode is called the incredible theft and um the specific location is the penguin pool in london zoo which is an incredible 1930s building it was built in 1933 and the architect was a russian emigre called bertold lubetkin but it's an incredible structure that he made in 1933, which is a concrete oval shape with two interlocking concrete ramps. Wow. And it's incredibly modern. It looks modern even today. Unfortunately, it's not a penguin pool anymore because apparently the concrete ramps, they like um, knacker out the little penguin's knees. So it's obsolete now. Oh, that's but a shame. It's a shame, but it still looks modern. It still looks progressive. Yeah. And... It's a great location for Poirot because Poirot had a penguin-like quality in himself because he had these little precise movements. Oh, he was yeah. waddling. He always wore black and white. I mean, even with a little bow tie. Even looking at him with his bow ties, white shirt, waistcoat, and black um, overcoat and bowler hat, he just appears a little bit to be like Penguin. Even the Penguin villain from um, the Batman series could have potentially been modelled on him. Surely. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. And in this episode, a character suggests a clandestine meeting by the Penguin Pool in London Zoo. Because the thing is, um, I mean, the Batman series kind of re revolves around an Art Deco 1930s era. Right. And uh, to have, um, at, at points it does, but to have that Penguin character and um, to have that so... Um, obviously uh, mirrored on TV is that kind of a, a touchstone moment for watching who Poirot is? I think so it's just like an incredible visual pun to have Poirot next to the penguins and it mm. ties up everything like the penguins the 1930s, the art deco architecture mm. it's just all there in one great moment So do you think Agatha Christie was always interested in exploring this classic look of London and um, making a show of location as character? 
Well, Agatha Christie is the novelist. Obviously, she died before the series started, so mm. she was probably less concerned with the visual side of things than, mm. you know, the producers of the show. That said, um, David Suchet was chosen by Agatha Christie's family. They nominated him really? to be in it. Because so, of what they've seen in performing plays and stuff? Because of what they saw he did previously. Wow. So I think Agatha Christie would have approved of his portrayal. Wow. That's kind of high praise indeed then, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But so, so it's almost like he was born to do it. So I, to speak. I believe he was. I mean, yeah, I think that was the part he was born to play. He's done many, 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 many other things, but I think that's the part he was born to play. Mm. But I mean, the visual look of the series, which came from the producers and the directors and the art directors, mm. that was the other element that made it from a good show into a classic. Mm. Because this is a show where it really transports you across time to a, a different feel and a different space. I mean, me being a Londoner um, and uh, having watched an episode of Poirot, it does feel like you're really thrown, um, you've got to throw all your ideas out about how London used to look and the way people used to live and just kind of buy into this show before you even get near the uh, the crime that he's investigating yeah absolutely i mean there was always you know two reasons at least two reasons to watch the show you know one was the mystery aspect and the other was just like the production values the visual flair that they brought to it the great locations i mean just like putting another one out there um Surbiton station that was another great location they used in the first series mm. which is another great art deco building but there are so many the Hoover Building, that's another great one that they used. Um, so, in fact, I mean, that goes back to why in the first season, the short stories were a good place to start because in some cases, they're not that mysterious. You know, the mystery is quite easy to solve, but that doesn't matter because it's character-driven, it's about the visual look as much as the story. Mm. And the later stories become much more involved and much more complex. What do you think one of the greatest problems was for Poirot, the TV series, and ITV? The problems? Because I always felt like it came on like way too late to um, kind of really enjoy it, so to speak. Well, you think it could have been shown earlier? Possibly. Um, yeah, it could have been shown earlier. I mean... Uh... I mean, I remember watching it with my grandmother, so I can't remember, like, the specific times it went out. I always remember it as, like, a 9 o'clock show that became, like, a 9.30 show, and it was just, like, sitting in that kind of late evening slot. Yeah, possibly it could have had a different scheduling spot. I mean, it was a really popular show. Yeah. I mean, even the final show got about 5.5 million viewers. Mm -mm. I mean, the ratings declined somewhat as the show went along, as yeah. it became darker and more involved. But even at the end, it was still a popular uh, show. So that might explain why it was getting pushed further and further past the watershed. It could be, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, for me, the... Um, the best thing about Poirot was um, the combination of um, the careful directing, the art direction. It was a complete package. It was a fully formed show from the beginning. It had a unique visual look and it was modern. It was stylish. Even um, 
when they went to the commercial break, which was always a dodgy time for ITV programmes. Yeah. You know, they found a neat cutting off point. Yeah. And then they didn't have like a cheesy title card that said end of part one. They had the like the art deco motif from the opening credits okay. as the final thing you saw after right. the commercial break. Yeah. Which was stylish. Cool. Uh, for the uh, kind of novice uh, who hasn't heard of Poirot before and they don't know what to expect. Is there a recommended episode that you think people should watch like jumping into the series or just start from the beginning? I would start from the beginning. Um, I think the, um, the adventure of the Clapham cook is a really good pilot episode. I think that's as good a place to start as any because David Suchet's performance is great right off the bat. And that performance shows you a lot of the show's, recreation of 1930s London just start from the beginning and as a second recommendation don't start by watching the adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express because in the TV show Poirot that one comes really late in the day and it has like Mm. more emotional weight because it's so late Mm. in the run of the shows so I mean watch a few before you watch that one even now I mean um this Poirot has an 8.6 out of 10 on uh, IMDb, which I think is quite interesting for a series that had um, stopped airing probably five, six years ago. And um, in terms of uh, the core cast, um, you have also Hugh Fraser, Philip Jackson and Pauline Moran. And I think in the later series, uh, Zoe Wanamaker, um, what did they add to the, the Poirot uh, ensemble? Yeah, I've actually not got onto them that much. Um, but yeah, Hugh Fraser as Captain Hastings. Captain Hastings was Poirot's assistant mm. and um, he's a great file to him. He's um, a typical Englishman, like upper-class Englishman of the period, so mm. completely unlike Poirot in many ways very admiring of him but um obviously not as mentally quick so he's like dr watson to poirot's homes and And i suppose that's the best opportunity to kind of specifically look at the class differences that poirot is going to walk into yeah absolutely and then there's pauline moran as um mrs lemon who's poirot's secretary who's um a great character and um she gets a lot of screen time she's a not a token character by any means. They have a nice relationship and a good interaction. And she's another one who um, completely believes in Poirot. Mm. But at the same time, she's kind of exasperated by his eccentric mannerisms. Okay. So it's a really nice comic situation that they've got going on. Is there an equivalent female character who runs the house of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? That's like that. Yes, Sherlock Holmes has a landlady yeah. who's um, played um, in the TV series, the BBC TV series by Una Stubbs. Mm. And um, she has a great relationship with Holmes and Watson. So is it? do you think there's a lot of similarities or differences between oh, no, those there characters? There are definitely similarities. You know, mm. Sherlock Holmes is the classic template for that kind of murder mystery and Agatha Christie was definitely... Mm. You Emulating? Know, definitely playing on that. Mm. Okay. So, 
Oh, final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts. I don't know. Do you have a final question? Um, okay. I mean, where can we watch Poirot now if we wanted to go and see this series? Do you know, I have all the DVDs, so I don't know if it's available <laughs> on the BBC iPlayer. Although you could definitely get the DVD box set from Amazon. Okay. So um, I, I think um, ITV seemed to... There was, a t- there was the BBC series, no? Yeah, no, I think it's ITV. I think um, if you go to ITV Player, you can still get access to the episodes, and they seem to be rescreening them on ITV Free. Um, as episode three came out on Wednesday, the third of October, so it is possible to still get access to the classic series featuring David Suchet. Yeah, I would. All thirteen seasons. Yeah, I really would wholeheartedly recommend you check it out, especially if you like a good murder like I do, but also (laughs) anyone who's a fan of London or Art Deco or the 1930s or just TV series with good characters and great production values. I think it's got a lot for everyone and it's a top pick from me. Okay, thank you very much, Dom, for your insight into Poirot uh, we'll be keeping our eyes on that soon if you want to investigate where you can watch Poirot that's ITV player that's ITV P-L-A-Y-E-R and you'll be able to watch all 13 seasons so I think you may have to sign up with an email address but that's where you'll get it uh, so thanks to our presenter today King Dom goodbye Uh, We're going to say goodbye to the quiet listeners of our co-hosts, Akosh. And our comptroller, Neo Geo. See you later. I've been your host, Trevor. You were listening to Geek Sweat. These are our end credits. So we invite you to subscribe as well. Geek Sweat is available on CastBox FM, iTunes and Stitcher. Download either app to listen to us. If you want to support the podcast by generating an interview question, being a guest, or simply becoming a sponsor, please email film at instigateonline.com. We will have more in store, so feel free to rate and review us inside your podcast platform. If you don't have time to do so, always tell a friend and we will be always grateful. You can also find us online via Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook via the hashtag GeekSweat. That's G E E K. S-W-E-A-T. This podcast thrives on listeners. So thank you for sharing your ears with us today. To show you we care, we watch films to to save save you hassled. hassled.